Happy Halloween! Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special Wednesday afternoon show. It's a matinee day here in New York. Who or what are you celebrating today? I'm celebrating Halloween. Let me take the special effects off. So nothing's wrong with your screen. I just love this time of year. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, my childhood. I grew up, some of you know this, in Conway, South Carolina. And I guess my love of celebrating, as you all know, uh, Richard Skipper celebrates, uh, all began with my grandmother, Skipper. She celebrated each and every holiday to the hilt. And Halloween was one of those special holidays. My grandmother decorated the house with witches and goblins and skeletons and everything. And on Halloween, my grandmother would be sitting with this huge metal bowl full of all kinds of candies. And all the kids, grandkids and kids from the neighborhood would all come up to her front door and just reach in and grab as much candy as possible. Uh, I remember my sister and my brothers all going out on Halloween. And we did have a lot of money, uh, but my mother would always come home uh, with those plastic Halloween masks, uh, those masks that I always hated uh, with the little plastic uh, rubber band in the back that always uh, uh, squeezed my back of my head and everything. Uh, but I love Halloween. And as time has gone on, uh, Halloween has become almost as big as Christmas in terms of the way that people decorate their homes uh, here in Rockland County, where I live, uh, as I ride around at night, uh, every, all the houses in my neighborhood are all decorated just as much as they decorate uh, for the uh, for Christmas. And stores start setting up uh, as early uh, as uh, late August uh, now. And I know that that frustrates a lot of people. But in this world of commerce, uh, it's important that a lot of stores start prepping as early as possible. But I have a very special guest waiting in the wings. I'm going to bring him on uh, right now. And that's uh, my dear friend, Charles Rosnay, who's been on the show before. And I'm thrilled that he is back. Uh, the last time that he was here, uh, we celebrated the Beatles. Uh, but today we're going to celebrate the world of horror and spooks and everything. Uh, Charles has often said that he believes that his life began in 1964 when the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show. But I believe that his life really began earlier than that when he grew up watching horror movies on uh, black and white television. Uh, and it all began for me as well. Uh, but he lives, eats, and breathes the world of the paranormal. Uh, and But who's to say that that is paranormal? Maybe it's all normal. And the rest of the world, if you're paying attention to what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now, to me, that's paranormal. So, Charles, welcome to the show. Well, it's certainly not normal. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me back, right? Shifting gears from the Beatles to the mon monster stuff, which is that you—that's you, my childhood. You know, I like you. I loved Halloween from from an earliest age. Loved trick or treating, and and got frustrated when I got a little older and I felt I might have been too old to trick or treat. But I was always short, so I throw on that costume and the mask, and you couldn't tell that I was, you know, already a teen. I was still trick or treating, and then I, I couldn't wait when I finally had a few kids there of my own. You better believe I was trick-or-treating with them. <laughs> uh, Charles, where did you, uh, you know, we talked about this before, but you grew up where? I grew up in the Bronx. Talk about and... monster stuff, right? <laughs> but I, grew up, I grew up in South Carolina. I grew up in a very rural area, and Halloween was a big thing in the South. And I know that, you know, we are about to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the New York City Halloween parade, uh, and uh, you haven't reached your 50th birthday yet. Uh, so um, but, uh, did you go to the Halloween parade in New York? 
Years later, I, you know, it was, uh, couldn't, it was a not miss for a bunch of years, but growing up in, uh, in the Bronx, I was, uh, I was, I was 10 when I came to Connecticut. So we didn't go, but what I did is I lived in one of those huge apartment buildings. And so trick or treating was going doorbell to doorbell in one building and you would, you know, fill up on the candy. I never have to leave the block to do that. Um, when we moved to Connecticut, you know, it was a lot more spread out. So Certain homes didn't you didn't have a, a walkway, you didn't have a path, you didn't have a sidewalk to get to. So we would travel to the neighborhoods we knew. There were neighborhoods we knew were givers and would have, you know, the unlimited uh, Reese's or the best of the candies, the Snickers. And uh, we'd make it a pilgrimage every year to the same places. But Halloween, you know, uh, the whole holiday and the monsters and all that. You know, it's funny because you said that, you know, the Beatles, 1964, first memory and impacted my life. But watching monster movies with mom, you know, in that black and white TV that only got probably three channels. But you know what? We 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 read the Bible. We read the TV guide. And we had, <laughs> yes. that was the Bible in those days. And we circled, you know, the monster movies that were on. And we'd have to, you know, figure out which channel. See, we we were lucky. We had those rabbit ears. <laughs> so we wouldn't just get CBS, NBC, and uh, ABC. We'd also get a few of those independent channels. And those are the ones who ran the monster movies. So I was in my joy when we had like Chiller Theater or Creature Features or any of those. Uh, every week I'd be watching every whatever horror movie came on. Do you remember the first movie that truly scared you and really stuck with you? All right, so that's a two-part question. And I remember because I, I, I do a lot of um, book um, appearances at libraries, and I literally start off by telling the story of how my parents wanted me to love the same things they did, of course. So it was, you know, the early rock and roll and Motown, uh, listening to AM radio. But, you know, mom got it in her head that she wanted me to love the monster movies as much as she did. And she sat me down and uh, she turned off all the lights. And Richard, I, I was never in bed before midnight. I was one of those, you know, um, only child who stayed up until my parents stayed up. And then I went to bed. She put on Bride of Frankenstein. And in one minute, whatever, whether it was the first scene or the first note of the music, I was in bed with the, with the, with the blanket over my head. Now, this was the million-dollar movie in New York. And if I'm not mistaken, it was on Channel 9. But the million-dollar movie had the same uh, showing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the same right. every, every night. So it was usually Casablanca, you know, Gone with the Wind, something. It had Bride of Frankenstein. Second night, she was a little smarter. She left the lights on. She put the blankets over us. She gave me more milk and Jiffy Pop. Remember Jiffy Pop? <laughs> oh, my God, of course. So she was smart. So I did watch the movie like this. I, I made it through the movie. By the third night, the Wednesday, I watched it like this. I was watching it and enjoying it, but not admitting how much I was enjoying it. Thursday, I was asking, when is it going to be on? I was reciting the lines back. And by Friday, that was it. I was hooked. I, I, being a kid that age... I thought that movie was going to be on the rest of my life at that time. I didn't quite understand the concept of programming. So, yeah, that was the first one that scared me. But the one that gave me nightmares, and nobody this is a surprise when I mention it, years later, it was a, a home invasion film called Wait Until Dark with Audrey uh -huh. yes. Helen Arkin playing against type as a bad guy. And that was, I don't know what happened, but I went home, went to bed, and it was one of those like COVID virus flu nights where you don't know if you're awake, you don't know if you're asleep, but people were breaking into the house all night. They were coming through the windows. That movie gave me nightmares. And I, it's not a scary movie per se. You know, when you think of uh, Suspense, The Exorcist and Psycho, that's the one that scared me. The whole concept of, you know, home invasion really, ooh. Well, I'll tell you a story. When I was 15 years old, we lived out in the country and we lived next to a church and there was a cemetery right next to the church. Mm -hmm. So my parents, I was doing a show uh, with our local theater company and my parents were going away for the weekend. Mm -hmm. They allowed me to stay And this, of course, was in the 70s and it was a different world, folks. 
but my parents allowed me to stay home for the weekend because I was in rehearsals. And so the movie, The Tingler with Vincent Price was on TV. And so I am home watching the movie. And then I'm, we have this big picture window in our living room. And I look out the window and I see this light dancing through the cemetery. And I, my instinct was to run through the house and turn all the lights out. So I ran through the house, turned all the lights out. And a few minutes later, I saw this dancing light again in the cemetery. And this ha- and my heart was racing so fast. I, at 15, thought I was going to have a heart attack. Yeah. And I've never felt such suspense in my life. And if you know the story of the tingler, it's all about suspense and not being able to scream. And that's what I was feeling as I was watching this movie. And then I realized that every time a car was passing the cemetery, it was the reflection of the headlights bouncing off of the tombstones. <sighs> and I have never felt such fear in my life uh, of that moment. So, but I want to talk. Let's talk about the Tingler for one more second. Yes. Do you you know about its theatrical uh, history? Yes. Do you want to talk about that? We have to, because uh, the guy, William Castle, who made that film, uh, was a really a marketing genius, you know, and, you know, he did a movie and he would have a ghost, uh, like, you know, a fake little skeleton attached to the back of the screen. And when it, when one scene came, the ghost would be on a wire and fly through the people in the audience. You know, this was genius. But for the Tingler, which I think was the most brilliant concept, at one point when the Tingler is finally seen a- a- in the movie, uh, the seats in the theater were wired to either give a, a little buzz or to or to give a like a touch behind the leg, something like that in all the seats. And I don't know how they could have done that in every theater it played. It was probably just in the in the world premieres in LA or New York. But to rig the seats for you to get an actual thing happen to you while you're seeing that tingler, wow, that's genius. So when you mentioned that movie, I had to, you know, give, give the the theatrical lore behind it. Well, Charles, I have to tell you, I mean, two experiences that I've had in my lifetime that I absolutely are two of my favorite memories. When I was in high school, I worked, you know, I worked in an amusement park Mm. and there was a haunted house in the amusement park Mm. and people could walk through the haunted house. And I actually worked in the haunted house. So I could say that I actually haunted houses. Uh, I worked in the haunted house and it was so much fun to scare people. And then several years ago, Madison Square Garden, they had what was called Madison Scare Garden. Yes. I worked there and I did that for three years. I attended. Oh, you did? I did. Um, I went there one year. I, I will never forget this. And I have an autographed picture from Alice Cooper. Cooper. Were you there when Alice Cooper was there? No, I was not there that night, but he sponsored the event. It was he sponsored you know, the event, and Alice Cooper was coming through, and I played this demented clown, and I jumped out, and I scared the hell out of him, and he screamed so loud. He said he had never been so scared in his life, and he said he had to meet me afterwards. And, <laughs> and so I scared Alice Cooper. Wow, what a memory. You know, I um, I owned a haunted attraction in Connecticut for about 15 years, sold it before COVID because I didn't think we'd be able to open up. And then when my non-compete ended, now I run something called the Haunted Trolley, which I don't, I, I didn't even give you the, the link to it. Oh, look at you. You are, um, oh, that, is, that is impressive. And it's the last two weekends coming up in October. And uh, I sort of hosted as the conductor, but I'm going to step back the last two weeks. We have an acting troupe doing a whole murder mystery on board, a la Murder on the Orient Express, Murder on the Shoreline Express in East Haven, Connecticut. And people are loving it. And I, I love that whole, you know, being the one who used to get scared as a kid going to haunted attractions to now being on the other side. I've done the clown. I've done the zombie. I've done the vampire. Absolutely love scaring people. It's such a thrill. And both you get, you know, the right reaction. There's nothing like 
people say, oh, stand-up comedian gets the best laughs. You know, a rock and roll singer when the crowd goes wild. I'll tell you, if I have a group of six and they're on the floor or they, you know, they back up and pee their pants, that's my joy. <laughs> well, you know, with Alice Cooper, he said that I, uh, he said I made him piss in his pants. Ah! Words. And I said, <laughs> That was the greatest compliment that anyone could ever uh, pay me. I've got a couple of links that I'm going to put, bring up. And as I bring up these links, I want to talk about these other events that you're doing. But yes. before we do this, I want to talk about your book. Because yeah. you have a book, the book of Top Ten Horror List. And I've got this photograph of you with this. Um, because, you know, and this book is so incredible. I mean, anyone who loves horror movies, uh, you have put this together. And I love this concept that you came up with of getting all these people to come in and talk about their favorite horror movies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, tell me how this book came about in the first place. Well, it came about because I was doing this little online column, which nobody was ever reading, called uh, National Horror Happenings. And I would, you know, review a horror movie. I'd preview. Maybe if I got lucky, I would do an interview with a star. But um, anything, anything horror-related, once a day, I'd throw it on there if it got five hits, 10 hits, what I was really, and one, one time I did a top 10 list from a celebrity and it went from literally uh, five views to over a thousand. I'm like, what? And it was probably at the time when David Letterman was doing top 10 lists. So top 10 lists are always hot. I thought, this is good. I'm going to try to do this once a week, once a month, whatever. And before I knew it, I had about 70 lists that I'd forgotten about. And then when COVID hit, I'm home, I'm isolating, I'm watching monster movies with the kids, I'm trying to think of things to do, because all the things I normally do, I can't do. Well, I decide if I have these 70 lists, I just need 30 more, I'll put out a book. Just ah, I'll put out a book, right? <laughs> but in those uh, few weeks, everyone I contacted was also home, isolating with nothing to do. So I was having rock stars and athletes and celebrities saying, sure, when do you need it? I, I go, I don't know, within a few weeks, I'll have a few tomorrow. They loved having it. It was not an assignment. It wasn't homework. It was, yes, something to do here. And when I hit the 100, I went to publishers. Um, Bear Manor Media loved the idea of this. They love pop culture. I love Bear Manor Media one of the best book publishing companies out there. So they were great and they put it out and, you know, got me going. You know, I'm on this kick now. I'm trying to put out a, a book a year, but what it's led to, which I absolutely love, is being able to go to all these conventions and libraries, talk like I love to talk <laughs> about, you know, my history, how I got into it, and then read a chapter or two from the book and then sit myself down and plop on the tuchus and hope that I can sign a few for the people. And it's been working out very, very fun. And you, you mentioned, you know, the book of top 10 horrorless and it's, I was just so honored to get some of the people who are in there, you know, William Shatner and, and he rest his soul, Ed Asner, you know, it's like a, it's like a who's who in, in celebrity pop culture. Um, people like you and me, we know every pe person who's in there for the people who, for the people who might not know, you know, uh, the unknown comedian from the Gong Show, all they oh. do is, right? So they read his, they read his um, bio, which I wrote. They see the picture, and then it's, oh, of course I know who that is. And then they get more of a kick out of reading his list. Well, and do you find that you are learning a lot about who they are based on the list they send you? Yes, yes. You know, um, Mickey Dolans from the Monkees, who, who I'm dear friends with, and I love the guy. And always, you know, I know him from music. Anytime we've ever spoke music, he gave, gives me this list. And it's got all these like 1950s sci-fi classics on there. And I, yeah, good man. Pete Best, the Beatles drummer, go figure that he not only loved the classics, but some of the current, you know, the slasher type horror movies too. So yeah, I learned, not only did I learn a lot from these people, but some of them came up with these films that, shame on me, I never either saw or heard of in a few cases. But we do a, a very comprehensive index in the back of every film that's listed and every horror theme that's, you know, referred to. But I had to catch up when the, when, when the book came out. I then went back and had to watch some films that I thought, Whoa, yeah, I can see why they were listed in the book. Do you give them any guidelines or do you just give them free reign to do whatever they want to with their list? 
So, oh, good question. So um, for the current book that I put out, True Ghost Stories of Connecticut, that I definitely gave them guidelines for. They had certain criteria. For the top 10 list books that I do, and I did a Beatles one, as you know, um, what I said was, sure, you can do your top 10 favorite Beatles songs. You can do your top 10 favorite horror movies. Those are what most people are doing. But if you want to take it a step further and you can come up and think beyond the box and come up with something else, you have full reign to do that. Yeah, I gave them freedom to decide. And some did that. Some, you know, did favorite um, music themes in horror films. Some did like the best scares uh, from uh, from a screen queen. You know, they were really clever in the in their um, topics, but most were favorite horror movies or horror actors or favorite horror memories. The, the one I love bringing up is uh, Boris Karloff's daughter, Sarah Karloff. Uh, she's the sweetest human on the planet. And she goes, Charles, I, I want to give you a list in your book, but you know, I hate horror movies. I don't <laughs> know. You know, I never used to watch my dad's movies even. And I go, all right, I understand. She goes, no, no, leave it with me. She came up with a list of top 10 things that scare her. And number 10 was having to do this list. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I want to ask you, I mean, you are, I mean, you were were born in the Bronx, but you now live in Connecticut. Yes. Uh, You consider yourself a true Connecticut uh, person. Uh, I mean, you live there. Um, and you have all these events that happen in Connecticut. Yes. You've got this true ghost stories of Connecticut. Yeah. Um, how would you, I mean, how did that all begin in terms of the research and the time and the energy that have gone into uh, covering the entire state with mm. all of these amazing stories that you tell? That's a great question. You know, I always consider myself that horror kid who built the monster magazines, who still is silly and plays with the dolls. I still love this stuff and I still love seeing the movies. But a few years back, you know, pre-COVID, I I, I became friends with people who are in the paranormal world. And it was something that I wasn't so familiar with. Now, mind you, I had an experience in college which I'd forgotten about, you know, a real one of those, (gasps) wow. And I'd seen a ghost and, you know, you, you, you don't mention it to people because they think you're crazy. You know, not so much anymore. Now you say it and people, oh, yeah, well, I did too. You, I have I have one that lives in the attic. You know, people, it's more commonplace because we're not afraid that we're going to be um, institutionalized for seeing things, you know, in the in the closet. But having said that, um, I, I started doing the paranormal conventions in Connecticut, which then begat the paranormal convention in Salem, Massachusetts, which I'm doing. I'm doing that. coming up in November. Yeah, very excited about that. Psychic fair fests I do. Um, but when I did the first convention, here I was, a newbie to this paranormal world. And all these people are there. And they're people who've been doing this 30, 40, 50, their whole lives they've been exploring the supernatural. And I knew there were all these books out Everywhere you go, you know, true. Um, you'll see haunted South Carolina. You'll see haunted Detroit. Every, there's these books everywhere, and they're great and they serve a purpose. But what there wasn't was what happened to the people who live or are alive now and visited this penitentiary or visited this um, old school that's haunted. I wanted to know their stories. I wanted to compile a book. And the two, I mentioned you. You asked, you know, did I give them any guidelines? Here, there were two guidelines, two criteria. One, that it had something to do with Connecticut, and two, that it was true. I didn't want somebody embellishing it, Richard. I didn't want them fruiting it up, uh, flowering it, making sure it's scarier than it's supposed to be. I wanted it as it happened, and I got the most amazing stories of uh, asylums, of hospitals of homes, of schools, of opera houses. And each one of the stories is better than the one before. It's cemeteries. And half of it are places that if you live in Connecticut, you know this is, oh, Dudleytown, oh, Fairfield. These are places that are known to be scary places. But then it was people giving us some places that, oh, really? No, I never heard that that place was haunted. That's Thank you for sharing that. And my story is about the pink lady, of New Haven, um, which is the one that I'd forgotten about 
till since college. It was just, I don't know if it was a repressed, uh, forgotten memory or, but when I sat down to do the book. So now I do a lot of libraries and that's a big hot topic every October. So this whole month, every weekday, I'm in a different library with the true ghost stories of Connecticut. How did I get you today? This was perfect timing because it's daytime. I yeah. do those at seven o'clock at night. No, this is ideal. And Are you like, there tonight? Tonight I'm in Deep River, Connecticut. I've never been in the town before. Last night I was in Prospect, Connecticut. Every night a different library. And the people flock. And the first thing I ask is, raise a hand. How many people believe in ghosts? Richard, would you believe if I told you every hand goes up? And then I say, and how many of you have had a paranormal experience? And again, every hand goes up. And I know already my audience is going to be in the palm of my hand because now I'm talking not to people who are like I used to be a skeptic or a non-believer, but they're already, you know, they're already part of the paranormal universe because they've had experiences and they want to hear someone else's. So that's now becomes part of my uh, program is them telling their stories to me and asking questions. And I love it. I'm by no means am I a paranormal expert. I don't think there's such a thing, but mm -hmm. I, I have. Well, I mean, I obviously, I mean, this has become your life's work now. I mean, do you find that now you know, everyone's, uh, I think everyone's goal is to be the go-to person on any topic or subject. Yeah. And to get to that point to me is the true level of success. So obviously you, in my opinion, uh, are the go-to person. Uh, are people reaching out to you now or do you find that you're still reaching out to people to book yourself? Yeah. So, you know, for many years, I was the Beatles go-to. If uh, if NBC needed to speak to, you know, uh, how do we get in touch with someone who was at Chase Stadium? Uh, no problem. I'll get you a phone number like that. I have to tell you, by the way, uh, I'm going to uh, change the subject for just a brief moment. Yeah. Because... Uh, the Beatles came up this morning on The View. Oh. Yes, because Dolly Parton was on The View this morning. Right. About her new album. And Paul McCartney contributed to it, yeah. And Ringo Starr. Oh, and Ringo did too, right. They, and the, they yeah. supported Let It Be. Mm. And you know who else is on that track? No, who else? Peter Frampton. Whoa. Yes, so wow. can you imagine? They were oh. all in the studio together. I love it. Oh, wow. Dollars. So I can't wait. And that's coming out on November 17th. So that's just that I put that out there since you bring them up. So you, you were mentioning that you were the go-to person for the Beatles. For media for the longest time. And now what happens is people will call and say, hi, I know you do the paranormal conventions and you do, you know, all these uh, paranormal investigations. Um, I have a, a scenario in my home. Uh, you know, it's and, and it's, it's getting to be more, you know, I didn't mind it at first, but now it's getting to be touching and scratching and a lot of, you know, contact. And once it reaches that point, um, I, I'm not the person, but then I call, you know, who are you going to call? <laughs> I call, you know, my uh, colleagues who are, who are experts at this, uh, not experts in the paranormal, experts in helping solve the scenarios and they'll go and they'll do the blessings and they'll do the salt and they'll do everything they need to, to hopefully either banish whatever that is that's being mischievous or um, putting it back to when it was, you know, not in contact. You know, some people, it's really funny. We had a scenario where there was this gal in Stratford and she was, she said, uh, and she, I don't know if she was all there, forgive me, but, you know, it came to the point where she said she was being raped by uh, by um, a poltergeist, that it had gotten beyond uh, just, con it, it was, it was it became sexual. And uh, we stopped it. We found there was an object in her shed that wow. was from, that was from a, a um, it was, it was, it was thrown out of a church and it was cursed. We removed it. We did the blessings. And she called back and told us, can she, is there a way we could bring back? She missed her spirit. Wow. Well, Charles, I had mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the uh, Halloween parade uh, in yeah. Greenwich Village. Uh, and last year, believe it or not, for the first time, I went to the Halloween parade. Uh, and it was because of this gentleman here who invited us to come. 
Uh, Bradford, just to let you know, you are muted, so unmute yourself. Uh, and uh, this is the man behind the parade. Whoa! So, yes, so... I'm I'm the man behind the man behind the woman. At least. But, so, but, but, uh, um, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Nice yes. to meet you, uh, Charles. That was a He's funny story you just told. <laughs> so, Bradford, I want to ask you, how did you get involved with the Halloween parade in Greenwich Village? Oh, wow. Um, I have been involved in the parade for, I would say, um, maybe three-ish decades. So um, I think I originally got involved. I was, I was living on McDougal Street, and I was um, involved in some uh, community groups. I was um, the, the president of the Bleecker Area Merchant Resident Association, and I was on the uh, and I was the um, the president of uh, the the community council, which is uh, the police department's um, sort of a civilian uh, um, a board uh, uh, by neighborhood. So um, the the parade, I, I was always supportive of the parade in those uh, capacities with those different organizations. Um, you know, we we make a little contribution the, the, the feeling in the neighborhood was that the parade, um, uh, especially for the businesses brought in, um, this huge amount of, of revenue, um, and really made Greenwich village a focus of, of Halloween for the world. <laughs> so it was, it was, um, as a merchant resident association, it was something I supported and, um, there was the, uh, uh, safety overlay because with the police department, because you had, um, uh, even then it, it's grown since then, but I think even then we had, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of spectators and maybe upwards of, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand participants. I think now we're up to about 2 million, uh, in-person spectators, not including, uh, televised, uh, uh, spectators. And um, probably about 150, 160,000 participants uh, in, in a typical Halloween. And that fluctuates based on whether it's a weekend, what, what the weather's like. It's always on Halloween, um, uh, rain or shine. And um, the, the only exception, I think, was um, uh, uh, the hurricane. Um, we, um, we weren't able to pull it off after that. So one year that I'm aware of, but um, others might know if there was another year, we missed it for any reason. Um, but um, anyway, so, so to go back, it was something that was very beneficial to the community. It was something that um, we supported. And then there was a, a, a little controversy with the parade that um, caused, um, um, there was, there was a, Usually the parade is an incredibly peaceful event for how many people it is, but there was there was a minor incident with um, um, that had caused sort of a political uh, uproar at the time, and um, in order to uh, we we put together a petition to sort of uh, support the parade and um, say how important it was to the neighborhood to make sure because. What, what had happened is because of sort of any controversy was causing uh, sponsors to pull out. And if you don't have sponsors, you can't pay for your insurance. Oh. So the parade was very vulnerable that year. Um, and, uh, you know, we managed to uh, sort of turn the worm and, and you know, remind people how much uh, the parade was appreciated. And, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, since then... Um, you know, they're the, uh, I, so I became more involved with the, with the board of the parade. And, and since then have had, uh, many opportunities to, um, help when there were crises or, or, uh, uh, be involved in, um, uh, helping to organize the parade or bring in other organizations to participate with the parade. So, um, that's sort of my, my personal, uh, history and trajectory with the parade. Uh, how soon do you start prepping for the parade? 
Um, I like to say that I, and this is Brad personally, mm -hmm. I like to say that I take on um, the, the, the minimum responsibility that I can in order to have the amount of power and influence that I do. Mm -hmm. So I personally <laughs> don't, don't do, don't do, uh, no, I'm kidding. I don't have much power and influence, but I don't also have virtually no, uh, responsibility. I'm, I'm more, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the gov in terms of jobs that I take on for the parade, like, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're a team, we're all friends and, and, and Gene Fleming, the, um, uh, the executive producer um, for the last 43 years is 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 the star of the show in terms of, of being the creative producer of the parade. Um, my uh, role, when I have a role, tends to be sort of government affairs troubleshooting. I'm the government affairs director to the extent that I take on any responsibilities because that's my feel. I'm a lawyer and a and a, uh, uh, a government affairs professional. So I, I tend to um, limit the stuff that I actually have to do to get the parade to happen. Um, more if problems come up, I address them. And then with the, um, uh, when there are, there, there are certain things that I, I like to do. So on the day of the parade, like if I see somebody wearing a really incredible costume that's very elaborate that they, spent the last six months putting together, I'll put that person on, on TV. If I see a group costume. Now I know what I need to do. Yeah. 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 No, no, I will. I will make sure I will. Oh, so, thank you. So there, there are things. That's what I say. Like, I don't have, I don't, I don't have any res like responsibilities that I have to like the parade would, would, would go off perfectly well without me. But I, I, sometimes there's that opportunity where I can help and support the parade. So uh, they keep me around. Well, but before the, you came on, Charles and I were talking about, you know, our love of the holiday and everything. Mm -hmm. Was this always for yourself, uh, you know, a favorite holiday or anything before you got involved? And before, and also, did you go to the parade for years before uh, getting involved or? Yeah, I mean, I was, again, I was this person that was sort of active in my community in, in Greenwich Village. So the... Uh, the parade was sort of one of the highlights of our of our calendar for our community. So, um, and I I think I, I mean I know I'm I'm usually um, lazy about getting um, uh, putting any kind of costume on because you know we're like when you're there at the at the parade to occasionally help or you have like i like to put my people on tv or or that i find you know that i discover i'll you know but or, or doing the other government things government affairs things that come up during the parade it's confusing like if i'm if i have to talk to the chief of police about you know uh postings or the size of of, of a different you know uh an area or something like that it would it's hard for them to take you seriously if you're like, you know, dressed as a llama. So, <laughs> so, so typically I just wear like, you know, a t-shirt and a credential. Right. And so that, you know, they, they know I'm with the parade and not like, you know, uh, just somebody partying there. I would um, be a llama. I would go llama all the way. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, so I, I think, the um like in the past i remember like a way back i used to dress up for the parade and put some thought into costumes and um you know try to it's just like uh, you know the the parade is this expression of creativity um that i i can't think of any comparable um event like you talk about burning man or different things like that um you know this is something where everyone who is opting to be a part of it um, is putting all this creative thought and energy into coming up with that idea, whatever they're going to be. Um, and then you have all the organizations that are doing, um, uh, you know, very um, amazing puppetry displays and, and all the different thematic um, 
uh, exhibits and, and, and floats and different things that people do. Um, it's really this amazing, it's, it's, it's basically like all the, like so many creative folks in New York city, hundreds of thousands of them are putting in all this thought and effort into, um, you know, what they want to show their fellow New Yorkers. Um, so yeah, I did it. I used to do it. I, I thought it was amazing. I thought this, you know, this creative coming together was a wonderful thing. Occasionally I do, um, a costume, um, I, uh, and, and either be in the parade or watching the parade in costume. I remember, I, I can't remember exactly how I represented it, but I did, um, Remember when Tom Cruise jumped on the couch? Yes, I I was Tom Cruise with a couch to, to <laughs> jump on. But I can't I can't I and I've done a few others over the years. I can't remember, you know. But you know, you, you're you're up against like I mean, I've seen a group of people do, um, uh, like it, how many? I guess there's fifteen, sixteen. So it's six, sixteen people. So the each one dressed as a as a ball from a billiard ball and then yeah. and then one dressed as the cue ball and then they'd go into formation in a little you know triangle and the cue ball would run at them really fast <laughs> and then hit and then they'd all run around crazy i mean i i uh, there's there's one group that does you know the you know the monty python um uh, uh scene in in holy grail where they have the coconuts and yes so there's so there's there's one group that does that entire scene, like uh, all the guys with the coconuts and the armor and the the like you know because they're they're they have all these big packs and everything on them because they're the horses and the knights at the same time kind of you know so there's and um, it's amazing I mean that they yeah. do this for the one night right it's, it doesn't cover like uh, three or four nights right. you know I want to ask you Charles I mean I know they eat like the uh, the Paracon that's coming up for in Salem, that's yes. happening, if I'm not per, uh, mistaken, in November. November um, 11th and 12th, because in Salem, yes. you can't get near anything during Halloween. So we Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Have you ever been in Salem for Halloween? And years ago, I mean, I've always had this dream to be in Salem on yeah. Halloween. Yeah. I can only imagine what that's like. It's special. Um you know, when I do the Beatle tours to Liverpool, I say you have to go during Beatle week. And I tell people, if you're Elvis fans, you have to go to Memphis during Elvis week. But all the things that are in um, Salem are there year round, the Witcher's Museum, the shops and everything else. So it's a two-sided story. If you want to go and you want to be with 100,000 people, you go during Halloween. But if you want a place to park, if you want to not have to wait for a restaurant for six hours to get in, if you want to be able to, you know, get a hotel for 150 instead of $400, you go in November. And then the best reason is because there's a paranormal horror convention there. <laughs> but, um, you know, I got to tell Bradford, I miss, I'll tell you what I miss. I miss Bleaker Bob's I miss all those old record stores in the village mm -hmm. that were like lined up. You know, every other block would have a better one. And in those days, I used to buy Beatles bootlegs, which you couldn't get anywhere else except mm -hmm. in the village. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you as a longtime uh, village person. <laughs> no, I, I I was good friends with the uh, guys at 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 um, two different uh, stores where I used to uh, load up on. Uh, on um whatever the media Bio, of uh, that of that era yeah first you know i guess records and and tapes and then cds so yeah sure I uh bradford if, if people don't know about being part of the parade what advice do you give to people number one to be in the parade and is that something that you deal with personally uh and also for people who have never been to the parade, uh, any advice that you would want to impart for people who are coming for the first time? Okay, so um, I can give you some of that information. Um, first thing I recommend, anyone who's interested in the parade, um, go to the website. It's the Village Halloween Parade, if you Google it. And it's, um, I, I believe the website is Halloween-NYC.com. 
So um, that will give you all the information on specifics. Um, there are many different ways to participate in the parade, and it will also have information on viewing the parade. Um, there are, you know, the parade um, costs money to put on. Um, it is a mostly volunteer effort, but um, to have the number of marshals we need um, to uh, support the various puppeteers with grants, because there's some very famous puppeteers involved, Basil Twist. Um, Bread and Puppets, other puppet companies over the years. Um, uh, by the way, interestingly, the puppets uh, uh, don't die. Uh, at the end of the year, they they go into a barn upstate. And um, uh, so each year you'll see layers and layers of puppets from previous years that, you know, all uh, become part of the parade. But, you know, all, all that um, effort uh, does cost money. Um, and so there are ways to support the parade through the website. There are ways to um, um, get yourself uh, more prime um, placement if you want to march in the parade. Uh, there may be ways to get prime sort of placement viewing the parade as well. Um, but certainly um, uh, for marching in the parade, um, anyone who wants to um, may do so. Um, you would uh, have to go to the rallying point and that information is available on the website, you know, Village Halloween Parade. And um, um, it's an amazing experience to march in the parade. I find that you may not uh, see costumes as many as you would watching the parade mm -hmm. um, until you get out of the parade, at which point, you know, just going out in the village you'll see all the people that were in the parade just hanging out in the village um, in their costumes. So if you want an experience of seeing all the different costumes, seeing the thriller dance, I don't know how much you know about thriller, but all the folks that, yeah, yeah. The, 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 <laughs> yes. the, the so the folks that, that uh, meet online um, uh, and very uh, vigorously and seriously study the, uh, study the moves and then uh, uh, join up at the parade. And sometimes we can have, um, you know, I would say um, maybe around a thousand people doing the thriller together at once um, in, in, appro uh, in appropriate costumes. So um, there, there are many different ways to participate marching in the parade. There's very many different ways to participate watching the parade. Um, my advice, if you want to see all the different group costumes and performances, um, probably better off watching. If uh, you want to, um, you know, just uh, if you're willing to put effort into a costume and be part of the uh, part of the entertainment, um, this is a pretty cool way to get your cool costume scene. Um, I, have, I have a question. You, you mentioned... Um... Thriller, which is a given. Does anyone do Rocky Horror? Does anyone do Phantom of the Paradise? Any of the other cult, you know, music that are related? Uh, uh, Nightmare um, Before Christmas, anything like that? There's there's one group that actually does all the Nightmare um, uh, from Christmas costumes, life size. Um, it's really yeah, oh, quite, quite amazing. Um, uh, some of them, you know, I I think that the tallest of the group is what like. 10 15 feet yeah. um you know because you can you know the the different um characters are all you know in relation to each other so you can go mm -hmm. from like 15 feet down to the different size characters but um uh i it, there there are so many floats and so many different organizations that perform uh um, marching bands everything um, it's hard to say specifically whether any of those classic classics that you mentioned are part of it. I will say that um, uh, some of my favorite performances um, that I look forward to each year are the Hungry Marching Band, which is this fabulous sort of Hungarian influenced with the you know accordion um, uh, marching band uh, that I guess was formed in the East Village and has kind of migrated to um uh, uh brooklyn but all those all those all those kids that uh uh were in the band at school and got picked on for it and then you know uh became 
cool and hip in in the East Village and 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 uh, cool neighborhoods of Brooklyn um, now get together and um, uh, uh, do a, an amazing performance um, as the Hungry Marching Band. But then there's some other high schools that perform. Um, there's um, I, I want to say um, some colleges too. I, I may be imagining this, but I think I saw Princeton's marching band there. Um, there's, um, and they tend to all do thematic Halloween type uh, music uh, when they're when they're going down a thing. You know, we we've had um, famous um, grand marshals like Gene Simmons and all these other folks. So um, Cindy Lauper, you, you know, many other folks. So sometimes there's there are things that are sort of themed with, um, uh, you know, whatever um, um, music or performance those those people are interested in. Do you have a uh, Grand Marshal this year? Um, we do. Um, I believe um, it is. Hold on, I'm I'm looking at the website now. Uh, not. Uh, I know it was Lou Reed and Spirit. Um, but it was, uh, <laughs> um, in terms of living grand marshals, um, <laughs> I have to, I'm sorry. It was Laurie Anderson in oh. memory of Lou Reed. Okay. So, um, the, uh, you know, the famous, uh, artist and, um, and, uh, spouse, uh, partner of, uh, of, of Lou Reed before he passed away and, um, a musician as well. So, um, she's one of the, the, grand marshals this year I, i'm not sure if there's another one um but then you know and of course if there's uh oftentimes elected officials will come and they'll be ex officio marshals as well so um uh yeah that's uh that's that situation that's great uh and uh so i mean you you mentioned what you're looking forward to i mean what is are there any obstacles that you feel that you you're really concerned about as you look forward to the parade each year? Um, you know, I'm, I'm always um, uh, thinking about people's safety um, and wanting people to get together in a loving and celebratory way. Willing, um, yes. The, uh you know it's 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 this is a i want there to be an, a creative explosion and no other kind uh um, yeah. so Amen. the the you know we 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 make sure that we work you know the NYPD is fantastic in terms of uh, their response to this parade over the years um just the amount of manpower they dedicate to safety um the uh uh, their, you know, their, their attitude, individual officers attitude towards the, the festivities is just always something that just, um, uh, just makes me so happy and, and really uh, shows you what a wonderful city we're living in, because uh, I think the officers, um, and we're talking, you know, uh, many thousand of officers, like uh, mm -hmm. I can't remember whether it's three or five or, but some very large amount of police presence um, um, is there. And I think uh, the, the, um, uh, the police officers that get assigned to the parade um, genuinely enjoy the post. <laughs> they, they get, they get a huge kick out of some of the costumes and, they're great sports in terms of uh, uh, things, whether or not there are there. Um, um, uh, sometimes you have some very uh, um, politically uh, um, expressive costumes, and and um, but whether they're they're political or funny or or um, uh, whatever the costume is, I think the the police really enjoy seeing people's effort. I think the, um, uh, the the efforts of the sanitation department uh, cleaning up after everyone <laughs> keep it, putting, put it, putting the village back together um, after the parade are just amazing and appreciated. Um, so really, um, you know, they're in the back of my mind. I, I always want people to behave 
peacefully and treat each other well. Um, and I worry about what, you know, incidents could do to, um, you know, hurt the reputation of the parade. I don't want any individuals to get hurt. Um, and uh, I'm always pleasantly surprised. It's just the vibe is so positive. Um, and the police uh, and, you know, the other uh, um, city government uh, um, folks around just do such a good job uh, pulling it off um, that, uh, you know, I, I have concerns, but they, uh, and I, and I see the potential hurdles, but it's just that, um, you know, it's just this, it's this creature of love and creativity that just um, kind of happens. And the, um, uh, I think everyone just, uh, you know, kind of goes along uh, for the ride and, and um, we, you know, we really appreciate the efforts of, of the city to kind of uh, let it happen that way. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank both of you uh, for being here today. And I want to thank you both for all the efforts that you make. I always say that this show is about celebrating uh, everyone and their body of worth. So I want to thank both of you for what you do uh, to make this Halloween even more exciting uh, for everyone involved. I'm going to give each of you a chance to have your final word today. Uh, I'm going to give my final word, and then I will turn it over to you, Bradford. And when you finish, uh, I'll turn it over to you, Charles. And when you finish, all you need to do is say goodbye, and I will end the show. So you don't have to worry about how do I end this. I'll take care <laughs> of that. Um, but uh, I, you know, I want everyone to know that uh, all of the links, everything that you see on the show today, and there'll be other links as well, will all be on the YouTube channel. Uh, check them out. Uh, Charles has several great books to read. Uh, please go and celebrate uh, all of Charles's events. And Charles, you're where tonight? I'm going to be in Deep River, Connecticut with my horror book and my ghost stories book. <laughs> great. Uh, if you're there. And uh, and the wonderful thing about Charles, uh, he has. Uh, you can go to his website. And again, those links are there. And he will send you an autographed copy of his books. So that's uh, great as well. Um, I end all of my shows by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, pick up the phone and call someone that you have not spoken to in a while. Uh, not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know the impact that they've made on your life. We spend so much time trying to do this after they've passed away. We've all seen these posts on Facebook uh, with everyone posting pictures and testimonials. And I, <laughs> excuse me, and I always say it would be so wonderful if we would take the time to do this while our friends and colleagues are still with us. So take the time to do that. Go to your Facebook friends list. And the third name that pops up, reach out today with a phone call. Uh, Charles and Bradford do the same thing. Uh, not an email message, a phone call. Uh, I have a dear friend, uh, Sean Moniger, and he says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on as long as you have a skipper by your side. Now, Bradford, I will be seeing you in person in just a couple of weeks, and I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and Charles, I hope to see you in person very soon as well. So on that note, I'm going to leave the screen and Bradford, I'm turning it over to you. And like I said, when you finish, I'll turn it over to Charles. And it's all yours. Thank you. Well, um, you're a tough act to follow. I don't have anything quite as deep to say. What I will say is, uh, please um, come to the parade. Enjoy the parade. Um, and um, it, it really is... Uh, if you've never been, you're in for a treat. It is uh, and not a trick, hopefully. It is uh, a life-changing experience uh, for many, I think. And um, really, uh, it, it is, it is a, a, a beautiful thing. Um, one thing uh, that you can do if you are interested is go to the Halloween-NYC.com um, uh, website and learn all about the parade. And you can also just uh, Google Village Halloween Parade. Um, and I'm sure you'll get plenty of, uh, other than the website, I'm sure you'll see plenty of images and videos 
um, as a good preview. Um, and uh, I guess that's uh, that's it. Happy Halloween and um, uh, enjoy the parade and uh, put lots of thought into your costumes because uh, there will be some amazing ones. And if you wear something lame and and uh, store bought without a lot of thought, um, people will know it. So do a creative, interesting uh, costume. Well done, Bradford. We, uh, I have been many years since I've been to the parade, and I look forward to uh, attending someday in the future. If in the, you're, you're in the New York area, definitely go to the parade on Halloween and enjoy the amazing costumes and just the great vibe of it. If you're in New England, though, uh, get ready for November 11th and 12th and come to the Salem Paranormal Horror Convention at Salem State University, which I'm hosting. It's our second year, and such great guests, Tara Buckman, a horror actress from Silent Night, Deadly Night, and from Buck Rogers and Cannonball Run. And we've got the OG mentalist himself, Kreskin, is going to be there. Um, and you know what? Uh, it's tough to follow Richard when he ends with such beautiful notes. So I'm going to just say that it's been a pleasure of mine and a joy to not only do the things that I do, whether it's the books, whether it's conventions and tours or DJing parties, which is my main uh, thing I do, but to bring joy to others, you know, to have a, a world where uh, you, the things that bring you joy, bring others joy is a blessing. Uh, I'm blessed and I want to extend my blessings to everyone who watches the show and celebrates with Richard. God bless everybody, and thank you for uh, giving me the platform to promote my events and to say hello.